Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 323, and we're talking about eating healthily while you travel. That's right, but I'm not sure how well we can talk about eating healthily because we haven't been the healthiest of eaters and certainly not healthiest of drinkers. No, but I mean, we've been traveling for 10 years and when we first started traveling, we certainly went healthy and we've learned a bit about how we can eat more healthily. So we thought we'd just share these tips that we've picked up along the way and you can take them with a grain of salt. Or not, if you have problems with dietary salt intake. Yeah, just one grain of salt should probably be okay, but you know, no more. Yeah, I think the thing to note is that we're not nutritionists, we're not even personal trainers. This is our story, our advice. And, you know, I think a lot of people, I certainly hear a lot of people, complaining that they put on weight while they travel and things like that. So we just want to cover off some of the things we've learned because we've gone the other way. We've lost a lot of weight while we've been traveling. Yeah, it probably didn't help that when we first started traveling, we'd recently stopped being students and having the student lifestyle, and we'd both put on some weight over over university time. So, I mean, I was certainly overweight. I can't remember how much I weighed, but since we've been traveling, I've actually lost 15 kilos. So we're obviously doing something right. I guess so. You know, during university, we were eating a lot of cheap food, which meant a lot of pasta and a lot of rice and a little bit of things like fresh vegetables that were so expensive. Yeah. From what we've read about nutrition, basically, it seems to us that the things that people are doing wrong is that they're eating too much sugar and not enough vegetables and probably a bit too much alcohol as well. So those are the things we've been working on. And that can be a real challenge while we're traveling. So we just thought we'd talk about some of the things that we've done and some of the food that we've eaten so much delicious food. I mean, for us, travel does mean trying new foods. And I don't think you should stop doing that. I think it's really important to try the new things, but just finding a balance. You know, one of the first things, one of the first places we went when we left New Zealand on our long-term travel, which has now been going for over 10 years, which is kind of crazy, was we went to Hong Kong. And I'll never forget going out to Macau, another island, we were kind of wandering around and, and finding out, well, not really finding our way around, wandering around, getting lost. And we came across this little metal food cart and there was a queue. So we're like, oh, cool. Locals are queuing for this. So it has to be tasty. Yes. So we, of course, didn't speak Chinese and we couldn't communicate. We didn't know how to say, oh, we want that or what have you got on offer because you didn't have any menus or anything like that. So this was our pretty much our first experience of trying to order food in a different language because we'd only traveled around New Zealand and Australia before that. We saw someone go past with his plate of food and we pointed to it and indicated using our fingers that we wanted one of those. So that's what she served us from a big pot over a fire. Yeah, and it was hard enough paying for it as well. So she pulled out coins out of her little uh, little cash drawer and like held out the coins that we were to pay. So we were trying to match you know, coin to coin to figure out how much we had to pay. It was hilarious. So we sat down and we were sitting there laughing about this experience because it, it had already been an amazing experience. And then the food came. Well, you call it food. I don't remember that we were able to eat that much of it. It was the most disgusting thing we've ever eaten, I think. I think it ranks right up there. Even now, this is our first week of long-term travel, and even now that ranks right up in the top 10 worst foods we've ever had. So yeah, there are definitely going to be some culinary disasters uh, while you travel. And one thing we've found is the hungrier we get, the hangrier we get. Travel is tiring making constant decisions. And when you have to make decisions about food when you're already upset that you haven't eaten, my goodness, that makes life hard. 
One thing that we do is we make sure we always have a rather unappetizing muesli bar stashed away somewhere in our bag. So it's like the emergency bar. And we make it unappetizing so that we don't eat it just by mistake. So it's really the last ditch muesli bar. I'm starving. I'm hungry. I'm going to be angry if I don't eat. Oh, I'll eat the emergency muesli bar. Yeah, sometimes that's enough just to help you make that one more decision about where to eat. It's crazy how that works. Yeah, unfortunately, when you're really hungry, sometimes you don't make the best decisions. And it doesn't help that a lot of the fast food out there is deep fried, delicious, tasty pastries, does mm. it? Oh, that, that helps me a lot. <laughs> and we're not saying that you shouldn't eat these delicious, deep fried, tasty pastries. No, but eat them all. Maybe, maybe limit yourself a little bit on those. Eat them all. Oh, man. One of our first stops on our trip was to Malta, and we spent six months there, and I still remember the pastizzis. Oh, they were so good. They're like little pies with this, a flaky pastry and filled with either ricotta cheese or peas, and oh, they were so good. Yeah, I'll still take a uh, ricotta cheese pastizzi over almost any other fried flaky pastry good in the world, with one possible exception, which is borek. There is a similar thing, except it's just a different shape. Usually it's a phyllo pastry with stuff stuffed inside it, rolled up, and then made maybe into a spiral, maybe into a long skinny tube. Depends. But yeah, yeah you'll delicious. Find it all over Central and Eastern Europe, and uh, yeah, up in the Baltics as well. And my goodness, it is so good. So good. So one thing that's really changed about our eating habits, or rather our drinking habits since we started traveling, is that we no longer drink very many soft drinks or sodas. One reason for this is that I've read recently that we should only eat about six teaspoons of sugar a day as a maximum. That's about 24, 25 grams a day. And given that a can of Coke contains 35 grams of sugar in a 330 ml can, well, that gets you through your entire daily allowance and then some in just one can of Coke. So what we tend to do is we, we still do drink soft drinks on occasion, but no more than once or twice a month and only as a special treat. And then usually what we do is we split it between us. So we still get the flavor, we still get the experience, but we don't get that sugar overload. Yeah. Well, two months ago now when we were hiking in uh, Colombia, it was quite funny. You'd be walking in this extreme heat and extreme humidity, and I swear to God it was uphill all of the way. And the uphill gets steeper every time I think of the story. <laughs> We were, we were climbing, 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 and then there'd be a guy sitting on the back of a motorbike with a couple of chili bins full of ice and Coke. And let me tell you, there was nothing better than drinking that when we were so hot and sweaty. And, you know, you're, you're sweating out all of your salts and all of your sugars, and then to get that electrolyte buzz of, you know, almost pure liquid sugar, that was pretty special. Yeah, so we will have it on occasion. Now, I read recently that actually beer has more electrolytes in it than Gatorade. I like the sound of this. So we are quite happy to have a can of beer at the end of the day as well. Although one thing we started doing, especially when we were walking in the Camino de Santiago, was we'd choose no alcohol beer. And I know that sounds absolutely disgusting, but in Spain, it was surprising. Some of the no or low alcohol beers tasted the same as the alcohol beers. I think that says something bad about the general standard of lager in Spain. It sure does. I mean, it wasn't wonderful, but it was great because at the end of the day, you know, you just wanted something to drink and we didn't want soft drinks. We didn't want juices and, you know, an alcohol-free beer was exactly what we wanted. I'm just thinking back to your uh, comparison with sports drinks and I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next Olympics now. <laughs> Seeing everyone there with their cans of Heineken. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I want to see the uh, the gymnast just swigging back a beer, crumpling up the can, throwing it away, and then and then doing a thing. Yeah, I make make for impressive, impressive falls. 
I suppose one of the main things about beer is that in addition to all of the electrolytes and stuff, it does have alcohol in it. So you want to limit that when you're trying to do, (laughs) you know, precision sports. Smooth. We're talking about soft drinks. What's been, out out of all of the regional soft drinks that you have drunk, what has been your standout favorite? I don't know. I mean, there are so many different ones that we've tried, like Kinney and Malta, which certainly wasn't my favorite. It's kind of a, a bitter orange flavor. So you've got to try it, but you probably want to try it once and then leave it beside. You know? I liked it. You liked it? Yeah. I preferred Almdudler, which is the Austrian national soft drink. I really like that one. Yeah, that was tasty. In fact, Austria had one of my favorite drinks, which was a type of grape-flavored mineral water that they had. It was like wine light. But when we went back a few years ago, we tried it again. It was a lot more sugary than I remember. Well, I think the the recipe changed at some point. Or maybe because we'd stopped drinking soft drinks, it tasted sweeter to us. One time we we were in Austria and we had to catch a flight out of Austria. We were still carrying full bags at that point. We weren't only doing carry on size. Unfortunately, I'd misread the train timetable and then there was a storm. And so we missed our train and then we got on a train and we missed our connection. It was one of these disastrous, disastrous stories. We got to the airport five minutes after check-in closed. And so we were trying to negotiate saying, look, we really, really want to, to get on the plane. And they said, look, you can, you can try, but you won't be able to get on the plane. But uh, yeah, go through security, see what they say. So we took our bags and went to the security saying, well, maybe we can just take these bags on the plane rather than checking them in. So we got to security and they ran them through the scanner only to see about six bottles of this Vorschler sparkling mineral water and three bottles of schnapps. So, yeah, and they, they looked at that and looked at the sign that said 100 mils <laughs> only for liquids and looked at us as if to say, what alternative universe are you living in that you think you can take this oversized bag onto the plane, carry on only? Yeah, filled with liquids. I mean, there must have been about 10 liters of liquids in there. It was ridiculous. So we didn't think at the time, oh, I know, we can just throw away those things because they had such a high value to us. I mean, the, the schnapps had been a gift, and we really liked that water. <laughs> and so instead, we missed our flight and had to spend another one or two nights in Vienna before flying out a couple of days later. It was a disaster. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I'm so, so glad that we travel carry-on size only. It does mean that sometimes we get into difficult situations. For example, when we were in Mexico recently, and my friend gave us a bottle of tequila I mean, that tequila was delicious, but... was, but we had two days to drink it all. Yeah. And that's a lot of tequila. It's a lot of tequila. We didn't get through it, and we had to leave half a bottle behind in our hotel room. We tried, though, honestly. We made a good effort, people, but it was so sad. Alcohol is one of the problems we face while traveling. We, We really like to drink. We like to taste delicious flavors. We really enjoy wine. We like beer. We like trying local spirits, and... Well, this is a, a small problem. It can be a big problem because sometimes we drink too much. We don't, we don't go overboard. We drink within normal limits. But we do find that keeping under the limit <laughs> can be a challenge. Yeah. So one thing that we've instituted to help us with this, where we're constantly moving, constantly meeting new people, constantly in new places with new flavors to try, is to have one day a week that's completely alcohol-free. Now, some of you are listening going, just one day a week? And some of you are listening and going, that sounds like a lot. But um, but that's what we've done. And it just it's kind of a, a religious choice. It's like, because we're meeting new people all the time, because we're out with people all the time, it's really helpful just to have this hard and fast rule that, okay, it's Monday, so we're not drinking. And occasionally we'll switch it around. 
Yeah, it's the social pressure we've found that we, when we're with people, we want to go out for a drink or maybe we're couch surfing, we're staying with people. They have guests once a year or twice a year and, you know, as a celebration. And so they want to give you a glass of wine or a glass of beer. They want to celebrate with you. Yeah, sometimes it's really hard to say no. Craig was saying that he was reading an article the other day about a woman who was backpacking through what, Southeast Asia, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And the article was all about how she gave up alcohol while traveling. And the hardest thing wasn't missing experiences or not having fun at parties. The hardest thing was having to kind of explain it and, and put up with the social pressure of not drinking, not actually the not drinking itself. Yeah, I recently took a couple of weeks off alcohol because I was having stomach issues and I was wanting to see if, if alcohol was the cause. And I didn't find that hard at all because it was just me and Craig traveling together. There was no one around. But for a couple of days there, there were, we were with people. I found that people were really understanding. I said, oh, look, I, I can't drink at the moment. I've got stomach issues. So if you're having social problems, that might be a good trick. Well, what do you think the issue is? Is not everyone's a, a heavy drinker at home? That's true. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just we've got this whole vacation mindset that you're traveling, you should be having a good time. So maybe if you just say, look, I really prefer juice or oh, I'm not in the mood today or something like that. I don't know. You need to find your own solution. I mean, we've mentioned that we don't drink on Mondays, and maybe for you it would be helpful to say, oh, I've got two or three days a week that I don't drink. Or maybe you could have one glass of alcohol and then a couple of glasses of water. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of water, but I do really appreciate being here in Panama at the moment and also in Colombia where we could drink water out of the tap. That, to me, is, is pure gold. I don't drink a lot of it, but I like just being able to go up to a tap and drink what's there. And the water here is really delicious. I don't know what it is. It's kind of sweet. It's got this beautiful texture. Well, it comes out of a spring about one kilometer up the road. It's so good. It's my favorite water. Maybe I should fill up a few bottles. <laughs> <laughs> Take it with you. <laughs> Speaking of food and drink, today's episode is brought to you by Select Italy. Select Italy designs custom itineraries and books a whole range of products and services, including food and wine tours for your visit to Italy. We've done several food tours in Italy, and I can tell you it is a great country for flavors. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, Select Italy is not only about food and wine. They can also organize romantic wedding or honeymoon trips and ticketing services for museums and musical events right throughout Italy. You can visit selectitaly.com to learn more. So we've talked about soft drinks and we've talked about water. We've also talked about alcohol. But one thing we haven't talked about yet is juice. Oh, my goodness. I Linda, love juice. are you going to talk about juice now? I think we should talk about juice. I think it would be appropriate at this point. Okay, here's a little pedestal for you. And, and here's the microphone. I don't know if I've ever mentioned to you before, but I do quite like juice. When we were in Colombia, we had some juices and they were really good. <laughs> juice is a really good way to get your fruit and vegetable content in New Zealand, there's a campaign that says you should have five plus a day, so five or more servings of fruit and vegetables. And one of those servings could be juice. They say not to include more than one serving of juice a day because there's a lot of uh, natural occurring sugars and you don't get as much fiber from having juice instead of the, the fruit itself. But oh my goodness, it is such a delicious way to get some nutrition. Oh. Yeah, the favorite juice I've ever had on all of our travels was in Cusco in Peru where there were these markets where you could wander through, and they're like fruit and veggie markets, but in the middle there were these stands of, of people that would juice the fresh fruit and veggies for you, and they were fantastic. So my favorite included a base of milk, and then they added some, I'm pretty sure it was a stout to it, a little bit of malt, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of caramel, it was it was absolutely delicious. That's my kind of fruit smoothie. Yeah, I can't help but notice there wasn't actually any fruit 
in that. I think they added oh, a little beer, bit of orange. Beer counts in your five plus a day, right? Yeah, it was hilarious. The the menus of all of these stalls included, you know, apple juice, carrot juice, apple and carrot juice, orange juice, banana juice. You could you could mix it up however you wanted. And they all had all of these beautiful fruits on display that you could choose from. And at the bottom of every single menu was this beer milkshake. So of course, towards the end of our stay, we're the four of us, we're traveling with our friends, Janine and Ange. We kind of said, look, we're going to have to try this beer milkshake because it's ridiculous. We've seen it every day. We're really curious. So we went back and bought one. We got one to share because we were really unsure about how it would taste. We knew it was going to contain beer and milk. I mean, already that, that, that sounds didn't weird. That did sound good, eh? But it was delicious. It was really interesting. It sure was. It just wasn't a juice. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. When we were in Colombia, though, we had so many juices. They were so good. We had our one favorite juice woman when we were staying in Taganga. We'd always go to her, and she had so many great options. I think my favorite was a blackberry juice. Craig, you liked the mango with milk. Right? Yeah, with mango and milk. It was almost like a, a lassi. It was, it was so good. And then the if that wasn't available, I'd go with the blackberry and strawberry mix. Mm, so good. I really enjoyed trying all of the crazy flavors that were on offer in, in Colombia. Sapote and uh, lulo, so many different flavors. One thing I would recommend, though, is ask for it without sugar because they add a lot of sugar into these juices. They just have a scoop. <laughs> they have a big kind of vat of sugar and scoop it all in. So, And I don't think it adds that much flavor. So I'd recommend going going sugar-free. Another way we've found to make a healthy choice while we're eating out and trying to eat absolutely everything is to split our meals. And this can be great with whomever you're traveling with. Yeah, I mean, we like to try different things anyway. So we'll quite often get two different plates and go half and half. If it looks like the meals are going to be very vegetable scarce, we'll order one meal and then one extra salad or something like that. So for example, when we were in Colombia recently in Medellin, we ordered uh, a pasta and a salad. And you know, the salad, if you order a salad just by itself, I mean, how boring is that? But having half a plate of pasta and half a plate of salad, you get a mix of flavors and you get your vegetable content. Yeah, I'm always really disappointed when Linda t- tells me that my side of fries doesn't count. She's really she's doesn't. convinced about this, but I know it comes from the ground. I really like, if it's on offer, I really like getting a, a side of mixed vegetables or grilled vegetables. Sometimes yeah. they are so delicious. And that was particularly easy when we were in Southeast Asia, especially in Vietnam. You could order lots of different plates of things and just put in the middle between you and, and split that. That was so good. Yeah, there were so many fresh vegetables there. And, uh, well, every, I don't know, it seems like some places you go, all of the the food options do have lots of vegetables. And sometimes you cross a border or even change cities and that evaporates. Yeah, it seems to me that quite often you go out for dinner and you'll order your plate of food and, and there's, you know, a nice serving of meat deliciously prepared or, or some sort of other protein. And there's a nice serving of carbohydrates, whether that's potato or rice or pasta or whatever. And then no vegetables. And I just don't understand because for me, I try to make half of my main meal vegetables. And if there's no vegetables on my plate, I feel like I haven't really eaten. So that's why, you know, I try to understand what's going to be served and then maybe ask for a side order or something. One thing I've really gotten into, which I understand is quite healthy, is the the Spanish eating style of having a large lunch and then a smaller dinner, or in fact, two smaller dinners. There's like an after work merienda, little afternoon tea break. And then uh, dinner later on around 10, 11 o'clock. And I found that works perfectly. You're eating the bulk of your food midday, 2 o'clock-ish, which we're going to go and do sometime soon. And then later on in the day, you have, you know, just little things to take the edge off your hunger. Yeah, the menu del dia is particularly good because if you're in Spain and you order a menu del dia, you're going to get three courses. You'll get your first plate, 
and your second plate, which are about the same size. It's not like an entree and a main. And then you get a small dessert. And the first plate is usually vegetable-based, maybe a soup, maybe a salad, maybe mixed vegetables, something like this. So if you just make sure to order something that really is vegetable-based, a green salad rather than a potato one, for example, you know, you're getting your vegetable content. These Spanish menu deldias are awesome. I'm a fan. Yeah, and it's not just Spain. I mean, you can get them in Portugal, also in Germany and France, and in lots of places all around Europe. So what about the the favorite thing you've learned while traveling, like a recipe, something you can prepare, something you can cook? I think one of the big things we've learned is that it's good to prepare your own food sometimes, because when you're eating out, sometimes your options are limited. If you're staying in a hostel or couch surfing, you can prepare food at home and you have a lot more choice about keeping things healthy. I remember when we were walking the Camino de Santiago once, we discovered lentils. And I mean, Craig and I had never really eaten lentils, so it was a, a bit of a, a discovery for us. And I mean, they're so good. They're so healthy. They're so filling. And so now we eat them all the time. We found this particularly useful because when we were traveling around Austria, we were staying in hotels when we were working for um, a language company, and we didn't really want to eat out all the time. So I learned a few recipes that we could prepare in a hotel room, whether or not we had a kitchen available. We had some plates that we could use. We had some knives. And I just make a lentil salad or a chickpea salad using canned lentils or canned, canned chickpeas. And they were quite good, eh? It was really good having a solid, flavorful meal that wasn't a sandwich that could be prepared cold and, and from mainly canned goods. So that was really good. Well, it was canned lentils or canned chickpeas. And then I had all sorts of fresh vegetables like onions, tomatoes, and cucumbers, and capsicum. Oh, it was delicious. Yeah, it worked out well. I guess that creating food in a hotel when you don't have access to a kitchen also ties into the food you need when you're in transit as well. You need something tasty that is going to give you energy, keep you going, but it's not so easy to prepare. Yeah, so one thing you can do is maybe prepare a sandwich before you leave. We really like brown bread because it's a bit more nutritious. So you could go to the supermarket, buy some bits and pieces and create a sandwich to take with you. If you're going to be going on a long bus trip or a long journey of some description, we really recommend you take some fruit. So easy peel, mandarins, for example, whatever you can find. Yeah, in Colombia, people often came on the bus to sell you things at various stops, sometimes even at traffic lights. And quite often the products would be either 90% white bread or 90% sugar. So whenever someone came down with fruit in a bag, either dried fruit or freshly prepared fruit, it was time to jump on that because you're a little bit dehydrated as well sitting on the bus and in the air conditioning. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, we really liked it when someone came by carrying a bag of freshly chopped mango. That was so good. Yeah, that was a little bit of chili powder. Oh. Ah. Speaking of being dehydrated, highly recommend you take your own water bottle with you because, you know, it's important to keep your hydration up. We used to carry these collapsible water bottles and they were so great because – when you weren't using them, they took up no space in your bag. They were BPA-free and all that as well. You might also want to consider taking a water bottle with a filter if you're going to be traveling around somewhere where the water is a bit dodgy. So we had one when we were traveling around South America, and we found it really useful. But in a lot of places, especially Europe, the water's fine straight from the tap, so you can just fill up your water bottle from most taps. Yeah, it's good to uh, keep up your water intake when you're flying as well. So especially when well, at all times, I guess, the moral of the story is be aware of what... Uh, your alcohol intake, and make sure to drink some water. But it's especially true when you're flying, not only because the alcohol will affect you more at a higher altitude, but also because uh, staying well hydrated, A, will probably mean you have to jump up and go to the bathroom, and 
B, helps you out with avoiding deep vein thrombosis. Yeah, I think I've told you before that when we returned to New Zealand, I think it was the last time or the time before that, I had a sore leg and I was really stressed. And I thought, oh my goodness, I've got deep vein thrombosis because I've just been on this long flight. And I woke Craig up in the middle of the night. It was midnight and made him take me to the hospital. And I saw a really lovely doctor and she asked me lots of questions. And I said, look, I'm scared. I've got deep vein thrombosis. And she said, she asked me several questions. But the big one was, did you make sure you stay hydrated while you're on the flight? And I had because I really feel strongly about that. And she said, look, mostly deep vein thrombosis is caused by dehydration. So it's really important to keep up your water intake while you're flying. That's what we've learned, I guess, about eating healthily on the road while still enjoying all of the flavors that a place has to offer. It's about making small changes just to keep yourself in balance rather than trying to do anything dramatic. So our top takeaways from the things we've learned are, number one, drink more water and drink fewer drinks with added sugar. Be aware of your alcohol intake and make sure that you're trying lots of different flavors. <laughs> yeah, try everything, but maybe not to excess, perhaps. Also make half of your main meal vegetables, even if that means splitting a salad or splitting a plate of grilled vegetables. Uh, when you snack, read the labels for sugar content, just so you're aware of it. Fruit and nuts, fresh veggies, way to go. And don't be too hard on yourself. Eat that delicious regional delicacy, but maybe just split one or just have one rather than, you know, buying a huge bag. Smooth. Well, we are going to be spending the next few months in Panama, as you know. We're planning not a visa run, but a driver's license run. How strange is that? We, we have a six-month visa without a problem, but we can only drive for three months before we have to leave the country and come back again. So we've been here for five weeks now. And so we're just beginning to throw some ideas around, maybe running up to the Costa Rican border, maybe heading out the other way to Panama City and jumping on a plane somewhere. So, uh, yeah, that's a, a big travel plan at the moment that, that needs to be made and starting to rattle around on that. Yeah, I'm trying to convince my brother to come and visit us. I think that would be quite fun. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, so we can travel around a little bit together. That would be fun. Yeah, no big news here except for I'm sure we've told you about our crazy little puppy. He started escaping. So he's had to be uh, chained up or locked up, unfortunately, because otherwise he just runs straight out the front gate into the neighbor's house where he likes to chase the chickens, hang out with the goats, and be patted by the cute little girls who live there. So the farm employee, Victorio, has built him a, a pen where he can run around. He's got quite a lot of space, but yeah, it's not his favorite thing. He doesn't have quite the freedom he used to have. Yeah, we've been pinned in a couple of times as well, uh, not because of fencing, but because of the intense rainfall that we get. It reminds me of being back in the Pacific Islands. We'd have these beautiful, beautiful days, and then the thunder and lightning would hit and absolutely pound the place for a couple of hours. Exactly the same dynamic happens here. Beautiful, clear morning, temperatures rise, humidity rises, then the thunder and lightning comes in and the rain starts falling so heavily. Yeah, and in fact, that's why this podcast is a little bit late, because we meant to record it yesterday. We went to record it, and then all of a sudden, the rain just started pelting down. And our recording setup is quite good. It cuts out a lot of background noise, but it does not cut out the sound of torrential rain. No, I mean, we, we have to shout at each other to be heard over the sound of it, so it certainly wasn't going to work well for a recording. Well, I think that's us for this week. Until next time, travel well.